This is Fundraising Radio, and today is a guest speaker. We have Jasmine Yu Zhang, investor and a venture partner at Venture University. And this episode, we'll talk about Venture University, what it is, what it does, how is it different from other uh, investment firms, and how it works in general. And also, we're going to talk about angel investing in general and about Jasmine's personal investment preferences. So Jasmine, let's kick it off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Venture University. Sounds good. Um, very glad to be here. So uh, my background, so I'm economics by training. So I had a master in economics. All my professional life is in the corporate finance, financial planning, business strategy, and uh, also um, wealth, management, wealth management side. Mm-hmm. And what about Venture University? What is that? Yeah, um, so Venture University uh, is really um, special from compared with the traditional fund. So Venture University itself, it's an investor accelerated program. So you guys probably heard of startup accelerated program, but this is for investors. And also they have an investment arm as well. So VU itself is a multi-stage investment fund. We invest from pre-seed through Series B uh, with office in San Francisco, New York, uh, Chicago, and uh, soon we're going to open one in Hong Kong. So we have uh, roughly each quarter, we'll have like 35 investment team. So compared with traditional investment firm, that's uh, like a big, large team. We focus on five core verticals, customer, enterprise, fintech, frontier, and uh, healthcare. We roughly invest two to five companies each quarter. Uh, investing initial initial check size is around 100K to 200K up to 1 million. And in the follow up round, we will invest up to 10 million. Mm-hmm. Nice. So let's go step by step to make sure that we're all on the same page, that everyone understands how uh, Venture University works. So first you have a uh, like a team of investors, right? working on finding new investments right then you send it over to the management who make the final decision to invest or not to invest right yeah so so there are two general partners andrew and sky and uh, they are they run the firm and around the team as well so each quarter they will recruit um you know 20 30 plus uh, uh, investors work with them from deal sourcing to investment, the entire investment life cycle. Um, so that's why it's a little bit different each quarter. The investor on the team is a little bit different. They bring very diverse background and also the deal flow will be able to sourcing is much larger as compared with traditional investment firm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It's different you're right here um so let's talk about your personal role so what do you personally do at venture mm-hmm. university most of the time yeah sure so the academic part and also practical part so academic part uh we you know the general partner will give us lecture about uh, a certain academic part of the investment about how to do financial modeling how to do due diligence etc uh, but most of the time we are focused on the practical part. I would say like maybe 20, 80, 80% of the time we are like acting as a real, uh, like, like it is real investor, like any other VC firm. So we sourcing the deals, 
each person, you know, depends on your network, depends how you, how you source and deal. We're sourcing roughly from like 500 to 1,000 each quarter. Um, now after sourcing deal, you found the deal you want to present to partner meeting. If we get approved from partner meeting, then you move to the next step, which is the due diligence. Then you prepare for the uh, investment committee meeting. If that get approved, then you will do a reverse demo to all the investors. So VU, it is a syndicate model. So we will bring the deal to the investors. Then we will, um, you know, since the deal is approved on the IC level, so we will make the uh, investment decision there. Mm -hmm. Got it. And let's talk about how you source deals specifically. So where do you find those deals that you want to bring in, except for your network, of course? Yeah, uh, network always very important. So that's where the most quality deal is. Another way is, uh, you know, be, in, be part of the ecosystem. So we get a lot of deals from those incubators and accelerators. So each week, I probably will attend at least two of those uh, to listen to the deal. Sometimes we found a really good deal over there as well. So, you know, some famous one like Tech Startup, Y Combinator, and uh, you know, Upwards, et cetera. There's a whole bunch. And they probably each region, each city, even uh, each country have a lot. So we are global found. So, you know, uh, I have a lot of connection in China and some connection in Singapore, Australia and Israel. So um, those uh, accelerated in those regions will also, especially right now, everything is virtual. So it's super easy to participate in those uh, pitch uh, competition or pitch uh, meetings. Mm -hmm. Got it. Uh, so let's talk about your other role as a limited partner at SoCal, SoCal Ventures. What does it do? What is SoCal Ventures? Yeah, SoCal uh, is a micro VC firm. They specialize uh, invest uh, women founders, or at least the one woman is a co-founder. Um, they invest diversity founders and also primarily focus on customer, customer uh, segment. So limited partner really just means the investors. So I don't participate in daily, daily operation. So uh, they just provide mm -hmm. some updates about, you know, who they invest, um, what's the performance, et cetera. Solely acting as a investor on SoGo. Mm -hmm. Got it, got it, got it. And you're also doing some, I mean, you're doing some angel investing besides venture university, right? Yeah. How do you think is your sourcing uh, deal sourcing process for venture university is different from your you know, personal angel investing uh, deal sourcing process? Is it different in any way or is it basically the same thing? Uh, I think it's a little bit different. So when I was uh, doing angel, you know, start uh, three plus years ago, mostly, mostly is uh, uh, I get deal from my network or, you know, either from friends or some professional connections. I occasionally will go to those uh, pitch competition. Uh, I'm in Chicago, so there is a technology they have uh, used to have a weekly. So I will go there, not every week, but once in a while I will go there to see if any good deals. Um, but up, like a VU is a much bigger platform and also much bigger connections. Um, they pretty much have a relationship with the majority of the incubator and the accelerator. So you'll be able to access to a lot more deals. That's one thing. And another thing is, uh, you know, you can do like traditional salespeople too. 
just to go to Crunchbase, see, you know, see those startups who raised the money in the past 12 to 18 months. So they're probably going to raise the money again. So just do a cold call, reach out to those funders. That's another way to do deals. Wait a second. Uh, can you actually elaborate on that? I just heard, you know, doing your cold calls to reach out to founders. How can you can you explain more in details how how you do this? So, uh, just elaborate on that a little bit. Sure. Um. So you know, we all heard about those founders reach out to investors. They cold call the investors or find out their mm-hmm. email address and right. pitch deck over. So it's an it's exactly same for investors because especially some good deals. Uh, they always uh, oversubscribed. So if you can find the good deals at early stage, it's uh, you take more proactive role, which is uh, engage those invest, engage with the founders early and reach out to founders and help them along the way. And then um, you know you pretty much grow with the founders. So so that's it's the same as uh, those the founders reach out to investors. Investors also reach out to founders as well. That's really cool. How many of those deals? I mean, that's basically a dream of any startup founder, probably, to be oversubscribed and to having you know investors actually reaching out to you. Uh, so, how many of those have you seen, and what are the major and you know, what defines that startup that might be oversubscribed? Um. So, um, how do you answer this question? I, so- I'll, I'll make it simpler. I, I asked a really broad question, so I'll make it. Know, more more specific what yeah. major traits like does that startup have to have like you know uh 100% month over month user growth or does it have to have like uh 50 plus percent retention rates or super high click through rates or some are there any metrics that basically define a startup that's going to be oversubscribed I don't think there's a metric per se because each industry, each startup is different. Depends on the you know their business uh, and their industry. It's a little bit different. Pretty much good deal is uh, means uh, they have really good commercial traction and also have really solid technology solution or you know unique value proposition. Previously, that's necessary tech. Could be other things as well. Um, and also a large amount of investors want to invest that company. So they actually in a really good position to choose investors. So at that point, not all money equal. So it depends on what value the investor can add to the, uh, to the company. So yeah. we, uh, we invested one deal, I forget the name. I, w- I was not part of it. I heard that deal was oversubscribed. And even some really big, um, VC firms, they only get a really small portion, say 10K, and we also get 10K. Oh, nice. I know, they, because they, they want to utilize those relationships, they want to, you know, take advantage of all the investor or VC can add value. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. that does make sense. So yeah. let's talk more about your personal investing experience as an angel. So let's begin with basics. What do you like to invest in and at which stage? Yeah, I personally, I invest in the seed stage. Uh, the company I focus on is mostly enterprise. Well, that's really big, broad, and also some customer. Pretty much is the business model I understand. Uh, I don't invest things I do not understand or do not have someone to help me validate the market, validate the technology. Right now, I actually look at a deal. It's very, like, on the deep tech side, so tech, I understand what they're doing, but like how they do it, I have no idea. 
since I never, <laughs> I don't have like a technical background. Um, right. So in that case, I actually leverage a lot of people who have like a technical background to help me to help me validate the deal. And all of them, they can get excited. Then I can get excited. Then I can validate, uh, you know, the deal from the business perspective. Mm -hmm. Right. So. Yeah. And let's discuss the major you know, red flags that you see on the pitch deck. What are the major three red flags that you see on the pitch deck frequently? Yeah, uh, so one thing I learned is uh, the traction. So some is soft traction, some is a hard traction. Sometimes they have big name on their, you know, say traction. It do not really mean they have a really hard traction. Could means, I know some corporations, so they could try every single new things on the market. They pay a little bit of POC money, uh, but that do not really mean that you have a commercial traction. So I think that need to be a little bit careful. And also uh, say being accepted by those accelerator or incubator, that's what we call soft traction. But the VC really look at it as hard traction. It's like a really commercial traction. That's more exciting. Other tractions, yeah, important. Um, you know, nice to have, but not as important as a real customer hard commercial traction. Absolutely. And how should founders basically define hard versus soft traction? So if they have been accepted to, you know, some cool accelerator or something like that, or they have, let's say, a layer of intent from a big corporation, how should they put it on the pitch deck so that they make clear that it's soft traction, not hard traction, but still, you know, uh, show that they are doing something valuable? Yeah, I mean, for founders, I think the soft traction is still very valuable, still put on your pitch tag. Um, um, but like, uh, be prepared, the VC will ask harder questions because uh, uh, being accepted by those prestigious incubator, that means you will be able to get access to more quality uh, investors. Uh, those quality investors definitely will ask much harder questions like why what's your value proposition why are you different why your team can succeed um in, you know compared with your competitors um i think it's up to the vc to decide that soft traction or hard traction for founders you know all the traction is a good traction but make sure the traction is a sustainable if the soft traction become very sustainable say you have a uh, collaboration with big corporation, start from small deal, small POCs, then you'll be able to approve it, then the big, uh, then become a really big, large commercial contract, then the soft contraction convert to the hard contraction. So there's no like a very clear line, but it's up to VC. I think it, I think in this point, it's up to VC to really decide it. But for founders, you have to know it's a, it's a real traction on that. Not like, oh, you know, I asked my my mom's friend, whoever, to sign off my product. That's that's not, <laughs> right. that's not that's traction, but not really traction. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And you mentioned just one red flag so far. We have two left to cover. What are other two red flags that you see frequently on the pitch text? Uh, another thing is uh, the founder is overestimate, over project on the revenue side. Sometimes, uh, you know, very, I, I understand all the founders are very op optimistic. I think they need to be. And also all uh, very confident about their tech, their market, their selling capabilities. But uh, if you over project the VC, when they value the deal, they will uh, do a haircut. 
they will uh, evaluate on a more conservative um, way yeah, compared with uh, some funders evaluation or other evaluation or revenue projection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it. And the third red flag is? The third one is uh, um, sometimes I saw founders put a really big name on their advisor. Uh, which is great you have a connection with uh, selling you know well qualified uh, uh, advisor but the thing is how much uh, value the advisor or how much time i should say the advisor really spend on help the company under and grow uh, that's uh, it's hard to quantify it when you just see the name on the deck that's so true actually that's very common and very very true so good point here um Let's move on to your personal fundraising experience, basically. So you mentioned on our pre-interview call that you were raising some money for a company you've co-founded, which is Xnergy. Not sure Synergy. if I pronounced that right. How, yeah, how, how did that go? How did that go? So that was a, a company I founded in 2016. So, so just give a little background. So Synergy is a... Um, we're in the clean tech, whatever, uh, new energy, whatever you call it. So uh, we all know the electronic vehicle is uh, super popular. And uh, the key about electric vehicle is about the battery. So the key of the battery is about uh, the material inside the battery, which is uh, one thing very important, it's called separator. Um, so that company is to manufacturing the really high-end separator. So you only hear about the news, you know, the, the car's on fire or the battery is just, uh, you know, on fire uh, because the quality of the, actually is the quality of the separator. Uh, for that business, it's very capital intensive. So we try to raise a lot of money, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. At that time, I don't really have uh, too much experience to raise money or how to talk to investors. So I pretty much talk to every single one I know. Say so <laughs> I try to raise money, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, without uh, they understand, you know, what their check size, what industry they are investing. It's just like a really blindly just reach out to every single one I know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think uh, obviously I learned a lot in that process, and also a lot of founders probably also acting in that way at early stage. Actually, there's a much better strategy how to reach out to investors. Um, for example, you um, really understand the investor in your industry and the research about them, what's their typical check size. Um, I think that's important as well. And also build a relationship with them. They might introduce you to some other investors, but also depends on the VC's personality. Not everyone will uh, will refer deals because of one question they keep asking each other is, oh, do you invest it? If you are not invested, why give me this? Right, deal? right. So uh, be careful uh, about asking that. You can, you know, some some people is more open than other. So um, I think that's good advice to uh, to remember. That's true. You know, yeah, making research is always important. And if you were coming just, you know, to a random investor who just has investor in their LinkedIn title, that might lead to bunch of wasted time for both of you so be oh, careful totally with that um, <laughs> so great experience by the way how did that fundraising process end up did it end up well or not as well as you wish so so we were close so that process I definitely learned a lot and also uh, it's like a you know 
we at the end who really worked with us is not a traditional VC because that's not a VC play. I learned that. So remember, VC play you need to have a return five to ten times. Uh, you know, two to three times or two to four times is PE play. So that play is kind of like either PE play or industry fund play. So then we uh, actually reach out to some of the top industry leaders in that industry. So we actually have much more in-depth conversation with them and help them to upgrade their technology, you know, by leverage us, like help them how to, um, uh, how do you say, uh, expand in their um, uh, like verticals or like an entire supply chain, something like that. So uh, we were, were really, really, really close, but uh, unfortunately uh, the result didn't work out due to some political reasons. Because we were still with uh, state-owned companies. Mm -hmm. That happens. That happens yeah. Yeah. all the time in the startup world. So it's a good point, actually, that you mentioned that you know, for uh, basically VC, you have to have like at least 10x return or something like that, something at least close to that. And if you have lower than that, or if you expect to have lower than that, just reach out straight to private equity firms. That's that or might work way investors. better. Exactly. Yeah, or exactly. other investors. Yeah. VC, right. they are looking for big returns, five to ten. Mm -hmm. That's typical. Yeah. Right. Right, right. So let's move on to the couple last questions and we'll wrap it up. Uh, first question is going to be about the pandemic. That's the standard question that I'm asking now because mm -hmm. it's the pandemic now. <laughs> and that's the question that I get a lot from my listeners. And this question is, what's your advice to founders who just have to raise right now during this pandemic? They just cannot bootstrap for like uh, half a year more to wait till the, the, the pandemic to be gone. What's your advice to those people? Yeah, so prepared earnings. So if you expect it, uh, you know, cash gonna run out in next six months, then you have to start raise right now because it is a long, uh, long, long life cycle or long term to raise money. And also be conservative how you spend money, be frugal, and also be a good salesman, sell your company, sell your product, general revenue, and uh, you know, reserve cash. Yeah, once the cash is clean, I think it's really pretty much true at this point. Um, and also be conservative on your financial, either spending or projection. Be like a, how do you say, uh, prepare prepare the worst, expect the best. Expect the best, prepare the worst, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. I think that's the second option was right. <laughs> so <laughs> let's move on to the last question of today's episode, and it's a call to action. What's the one thing that you would like the listener to do as soon as the episode is over? Yeah, so uh, I think uh, challenge your mistaken belief and something you think is right because that's how you grow up, what's the, what you see actually may not be end up true because uh, we, are, we, we are the product of our environment. So the environment kind of define our thinking process or think, define our thinking boundaries. So my advice is to challenge status quo, challenge your thinking, you know, uh, go out of your comfort zone, um, you know, talk with people different from your background. So you may get a totally different answer or, you know, your, your, your belief might be totally different. Absolutely. That's correct. And I guess my personal recommendation for this one is going to be watch Silicon Valley, the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's just super fun. You know, if you haven't seen it yet, you should definitely watch it. It's just, it's 
so good but please do not take the stuff that you see there seriously okay just <laughs> just watch it for fun okay and have a great day we'll wrap it up here thanks a lot Jasmine, for coming up and for sharing your knowledge on this field i think you're the first speaker from venture university so congratulations on that <laughs> and thanks a lot for taking your time uh, appreciate it. thank you really glad i have a chance to speak with you